everybody, and welcome to Common Rider AAA. That is right, there is a third A. That's actually a C. Fuck, I did not think this through. Cassidy's here. She's permanent. Cassidy, do you have an initial that it starts with A? Not anymore. Ah, so close. I mean, the middle initial's still up in the air, but I'm, I've decided it's not going to be A. So we're Common Rider Ock at this point... We're, we're Common Rider AA featuring special guest Richard Kind. In any event, folks, we now have a third co-host for the episodes in which we will be covering Common Rider 01, and that is Cassidy. You probably remember her, if you've assuming you've followed our catalog religiously, you've likely he- heard her voice before during the Common Rider Gaim film commentary, and we're glad to have her on. Not mentioning the uh, the double feature that I was on where I did too many bits. Oh, that, I forgot. Comrider J and Comrider Zoe. That's right, yeah. You are our most recurring and fan favorite guest. We have fans? I assume if we have any fans, they most likely like Cassidy because she, she she's the only person that's been on more than one episode. I figure I would have lost any potential fan love that I could have had after the, the too many bits debacle. In the spirit of not getting too bogged down by things, let's go over Cassidy's experience with Kamen Rider in case somebody didn't watch the uh, movie uh, movie commentaries. Cassidy, uh, what has been your experience with Kamen Rider? Well, I've watched those three movies, and I've watched the first four episodes of Kamen Rider Double, which I heard is not the show that you watch on this podcast. That we made a mistake naming our show, and we decided, no, it is the children that are wrong. So yes, you are very much a newbie to Common Rider, very much like Adam was when we first started this podcast. But I'm not a newbie to Toei Tokusatsu, because I do an entire podcast about Pretty Cure, which apparently counts according to Wikipedia. There was a moment in this that straight up just made me think of Pretty Cure. I'll bring it up when it happens. A lot of this episode made me think of the very first episode of Pretty Cure, but I'll get into that when I reveal the research that I had to do on one little thing. On, on Giggle Land? On Giggle Land. Speaking of Giggle Land, today we are watching episode one of Common Rider Zero One. Uh, that episode is I'm the President and the Common Rider, which aired September 1st, 2019, which means that we are watching a show where the people where where people who were born at the beginning of it probably aren't talking in full sentences. It's also a show that got impacted by uh, COVID. Yes, uh, halfway through is when the COVID-19 uh, crisis hit, so there is a long hiatus as well as some specials to tide people over that were tended to be clip shows but also still canon. Yeah, uh, I noticed during the first couple episodes of Saber, they the production was definitely impacted by COVID because there was a lot of green screen stuff and gratuitous, mediocre CGI. I mean, that could also just be Common Rider, to be fair. Maybe. Uh, Saber is the season that came out right after this one. Yes. Cassidy. I'm aware. But Anna, who was the lead writer and director for this episode? The lead writer is Yuya Takahashi, who... Uh, Ooh, new blood. Uh, yeah, new blood. And also, I have to share this picture of him. That, that, 
<laughs> he was the head writer on Common Rider X-Aid, but he started out uh, doing a miniseries for Common Rider Drive, Secret Mission type Tokuju, which was uh, kind, kind of like a gave background on the characters. It was more like a inf- informational thing, but it still looked good for Common Rider Drive. So he's been in the industry since 2015, done a lot of the extra things, and now he is writing his second series as the lead writer. Nice. And who directed this episode? This is directed by Teruaki Sugihara, who uh, this was actually his first time working on Kamen Rider. Yeah, this is... Very much new blood, both both for the podcast and a bit for the show. Well, thank God we're finally away from Toshiki Inoue. I don't think Cassidy has experienced Toshiki Inoue, and oh. I think she should remain pure like that. <laughs> okay, I'll keep that in mind. Yeah. Toshiki Inoue is like, you know how there's darkness in this world? And sometimes the darkness can be enjoyable, but at the end of the day, it's still darkness. I'm familiar with Fortnite. <laughs> uh, well, yes. Well, Toshiki Inoue is like the darkness in Fortnite, I guess. So, Adam, would you like to start us off on the episode synopsis? So, episode 01 of Common Rider 01, I'm the president and a common rider. We start things off with a commercial advertising a line of androids called Humagears that are manufactured by a corporation called Heden Intelligence, which I'll probably be calling HI going forward. In the commercial, the Humagears are marketed by HI CEO and founder Korenosuke Heden as a reliable and affordable means of bolstering the labor force. Take a leap into the future. There is also mention of the communication satellite Zaya, which coordinates the activities of the Huma Gears. Hey, so why'd they give these robots human skin? To make people more comfortable around them. Probably. Okay. I mean, that makes the most sense. It's just, I was like, okay, I guess that's like a robot design, sure. And then they gave it human skin. And I guess the real, real reason is that it's that way they can just have actors. <laughs> put these little robot ears on and you can look like a character from PSO2. So uh, something I like about that commercial is it feels like it's a semi-retro commercial. Like it's probably from around the first time Humigear started getting like mass public uh, use because it was played during the broadcast of, hey, this guy's dead and and later also played in the lobby of the building that he uh, worked in so it's probably like, yeah, man, this was the first real big heat and intelligence commercial. Something I like to think about that world building. I do appreciate how it's like at the cut. The world of Zero One is sort of at the cusp of being a, a full-blown sci-fi setting. A lot of the architecture looks pretty contemporary in, this, in what I assume is Tokyo. They do a little stuff to like that uh, zoomed out shot. They make the buildings look a little bit more fancy and high yeah. tech. Those like glass fins. Totally. But yeah, the commercial pauses and zooms out to a newscast where we see a Humagear news anchor reporting on Koronosuke's death. We next cut to a ground level shot 
where we see that the broadcast is being played on screens mounted to the sides of a futuristic Zeppelin. I love futuristic Zeppelins. They're the best. They're great for delivering news. Underneath the Zeppelin, we get our first shot of our protagonist as he zooms off on his bicycle, yelling at the top of his lungs that he's late for work. This was very quick and I missed it. And possibly some other places just haven't subtitled it, but you see his name written on his jacket and it says he then. Oh, I didn't catch that, but I can't read Japanese. Like, it was supposed to be like, yeah, you know this guy's related to uh, the dead man. Also, like, Aruto didn't attend his grandfather's funeral. And, like, he doesn't seem at all in any sort of grief or mourning about him. And so I just love, I I love it. Do we know that the funeral's already happened? Uh, yeah, because the newscaster mentions his fu- his funeral was attended by political and business dignitaries from all around the world. Do we know for sure that he wasn't that he didn't attend the funeral? Because it could very well be the l- reason he was late for work. I don't think so. And also later on, none of the uh, people in the boardroom like e- even knew he existed. Just because he attended doesn't mean he had to be well known when he was there. Yeah, but like this random comedian who cannot stop overacting just at a funeral, I think people would take notice. I think you overestimate the uh, caring of businessmen. So yeah, protagonist man, who we know to be Aruto, gets to work and we see that he's a stand-up comedian at an amusement park. Okay, I need to talk about one. I need, I wanted to point out that, that little like uh, act break title card thing was really cool with the black light. Oh yeah, with uh, the, him in the completely dark room with the smoke and the neon lighting. Well, the neon suit. That did look pretty cool, yeah. And then also we learn when, when he gets to work, we do see a bunch of different shots of this amusement park and the rides there. Should I talk about this now or should I wait until after? Uh, let's wait a little ways until the amusement park's a little further established. Okay. Anywho, our protagonist introduces himself to, quote-unquote, the audience as Aruto, and he puts on an abysmal routine, which thankfully no one but us had to bear witness to. I thought it was a good opening joke. I would have clapped for that. Hey, Rise Phone, what's the audience reception uh, forecast for today? A chilly reception. Uh, brr, that's cold. It was okay, I guess. Like that, I think it's a little clever, you know, work the phone into this, you know, everybody on their phones these days does ask it for to do things. And then, you know, having that in on the joke, I think that's neat. Uh, yeah, fair enough. It, it's, it's not a inherently bad joke. I think I remember reading that this is a case of the translators being too good at their jobs and like writing a good joke when it's supposed to be a horrible pun. I remember there is a huge discussion and like arguments over the different uh, subbing groups and how they're translating the jokes. I think even in the worst case scenario of this joke and it being like a really bad pun or whatever, I think it's still a very neat idea for an opening joke and your opening joke doesn't have to be your best joke. Also, I will say he is funnier than the Ab Buster. I, I do not understand why people are laughing at Ab Buster Taro. Anywho, we immediately cut to Aruto getting fired by the park manager who has replaced him with a Humagear. Said Humagear, Abbuster Taro, 
does a routine in which he flexes so hard the epidermal layer on his abs fly off to reveal a, a literally a steel six-pack. I want to compare their outfits because Aruto is wearing like a full sequin, like teal suit with a big pink bow tie. Uh, and Ab Buster Taro is literally just wearing short shorts with suspenders. It's like a stripper. You can't tell me he doesn't look like a stripper. He does look like he works at Chippendales. Also, I, I also love how like Aruto's like, what does a human gear newt know about humor? And then the minute Ab Buster Taro starts at busting those abs, he just falls down defeat because he knows that is funnier than anything he will ever write. He busts his ads, you bust your sides. Fuck, that would be a good tagline. The crowd loves it and they erupt into applause as Arto collapses in dismay. We cut to a corporate bigwig walking into HI's HQ, accompanied by a female presenting Humagear called Shesta. Also, he's accompanied by incredibly menacing music. To match with his slightly crooked hairline. Do, 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 do. This man's hair bugs me because I'm sure it's like probably just because of the way it sits, but his his hairline is just slightly crooked, and I'm like, come on, man. Coming up is literally just straight up the funniest joke I think in this entire series, which is as he's walking through the building, being like, "Today will be the last day you call me vice president." Cuts to the picture of Koronosuke Hiden, and then this guy's portrait, which is like ten times as big, just going on top of it, not even removing the old portrait. It was built into the wall, they couldn't get it down. Still the funniest thing in the entire world. A sycophant addresses him as vice president of the company, we don't get his name yet. The bigwig corrects him and states that he is now the president of Hiden Intelligence. He then calls for an emergency meeting of the board of directors. And th- this guy was just waiting, waiting for Koronosuke to die. Like, he was probably, like, monitoring his health, being like, hmm, he has increased potassium levels. Maybe that heart attack will strike soon. Either he or Shesta just sneaks into Koronosuke's bathroom to get a urine sample just to see if there's any kidney stones that may hasten the process of dying. Wait, I'm sorry, in this situation, does Koronosuke just not flush the toilet? Oh. It's a special robot toilet. It's a human gear. <laughs> no, we're not going there. I am vetoing that. <laughs> we next transition to what looks like a crater lake surrounded by a giant circular laser fence. This area is the size of a small town and is apparently called Daybreak Town. I love Daybreak Town. It looks so horrible. Oh, wait, is that actually what it's called? Is this really? Okay. Okay. It's really Daybreak Town. You can't say these words to me. I'm too into Kingdom Hearts. (laughs) You know what? 20 seconds. You get 20 seconds to say all the Kingdom Hearts jokes you want. Oh, no, 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 no. Literally, it's just that there's a place that's, like, vaguely important in the mobile game called Daybreak Town. And you know how Kingdom Hearts is with, like, fitting all the lore into being real. I know. I, I, know. I, uh, I played X-Cross, or X-Cross Key. I can't remember exactly what it was called. It's Union Cross. Union Cross. Know. Oh, we got a expert over here. <laughs> yeah, I, I love the way that Daybreak Town looks. Like, just almost completely submerged. You can tell this is like a post-apocalyptic town. 
Yeah, some big shit happened here before, yeah. We head into a partially submerged building within the fence and see two mysterious people, one wearing a bandana who speaks slowly and measuredly, and the other wearing a tattered hood who behaves in a giddy, childlike manner. They note that Kornosuke is dead and that the time has come to initiate Operation Magia, through which humanity will be destroyed. Sorry, I was just going to say that's interesting because in my translation it was translated as Magir. I, I think it's just figuring out exactly how it's... Because the name of the secretary is either is or Izu. Dep- some people translate it as Izu because that's how it sounds. Some people translate it as is. But uh, I, I want to note some interesting wording here. They, o- they refer to the humigears and the humans as groups, and they don't personally identify with either, with either group. That is true. They don't say, I'm a human that hates humans, and therefore I will use the humigears to destroy them. They, they also don't say, I'm a humigear, and I'm going to free my brethren in order to destroy humans. They say that they're recreating what happened to Daybreak Town. And they also mention that they are using the singularity, which is when a AI reaches the consciousness level of a human. More, which is just an abbreviated way of explaining it. We next cut to a room within HI's headquarters, where a 3D printer receives instructions from the satellite Zaya. The printer begins assembling the Zero-One driver while an attending Humagear activates. She acknowledges mission parameters received from Zaya and walks out of the room. We next cut to Aruto despondently leaving the amusement park. The female Himagir from before pulls up in a car, steps out, and identifies him as Aruto Hiden. Also, during her identification, we see that Aruto is 22 years old, bringing up that fact. Yeah, and what have I done with my life that... He's turning into his world's version of Tony Stark, and I'm just talking into a mic, I feel. Hey, don't insult Aruto like that. (laughs) The Humagear introduces herself as Izu, secretary to the president of HI, and she asks Aruto to come with her. We cut back to the stand-up stage that Aruto died on earlier. A couple of comedians are doing a bokeh sukome routine, as Abbuster Taro watches from the side. Uh, is that what's happening? I thought it was Ab- Abbuster Taro basically reviewing the concept of comedy in his head, so that way he can determine whether or not he's doing things correctly. That may very well be true. I just, I got the feeling that he was just kind of glowing in the feeling of having given smiles to so many people, but you may be right. I'm going to say a joke, and then I'm going to bring in uh, some hard theory-crafting stuff. First, the joke is, those are two, you know, humans on stage, and and previously Mr. Giggleland was like, sorry, I can't hire humans anymore, it's all about the human gear to Aruto. But no, he just didn't like Aruto's comedy. A Philistine, really. Uh, Secondly, uh... But when uh, when Hirobi sends Jin out, he says a, a singularity is approaching, and then he and you know the singularity is apparently what it needs in order to turn a Humigear into a Magia. Oh, okay. So Taro sort of reflecting on the smile, the laughter he and he evoked was 
him achieving consciousness. Yeah, it was him feeling an emotion that wasn't programmed because what would be the point of Ab Buster Taro giving a smile when he's not giving a performance? Mm. Okay. Okay. But yeah, Taro was happily recalling the smiling faces of the audience when the giddy hooded guy from earlier approaches him from behind and slaps a belt onto Taro's waist. The most evil belt you've ever seen. Yep. Its straps just extend the length of Taro's body and extend spikes, which just sort of impale him. It's pretty nasty. The belt connects Taro to Metsubiojinrai.net, and it seems to reprogram him into wanting to kill all humans. I will say the literal translation for it is... uh... It is downfallthunderclap.net, or as some people uh, translate it as, as uh, dis- extinctionthunderstrike.net. Either way, it's the coolest sounding name ever. Hey, what's up? We're Thunderbolt Extinction. It's no lesbian bear storm, but I, I'll, I'll let it slide. Okay, so nothing can beat lesbian bear storm. But, so that's why we have to like take it out of the running, you know? At the HI board meeting, Arto has been given a seat. He's handed Koronosuke's will by Izu and asked to read it. He looks so uncomfortable there, and everyone's like, did you guys know that the, pre- that the former president had sex and that produced offspring? Because I did not. Did he, though? Because we'll see the dad later. <laughs> Arto opens the will up and is disturbed by what Koronosuke has left him a warning about a crisis to humanity. Since Arto is a little too shocked to continue, the VP rushes up and takes the will from Arto. Mr. Veep then reads it aloud to the boardroom. Kornosuke's warning involves the Humagears being hacked and turned into monsters that will kill off humanity. Just like Will Smith's iRobot. Fuck, you're right. Oh my god. <laughs> also, that movie terrified me as a child. Like, because I saw the one scene with Will Smith's arm getting, like, crushed, kind of, and I was like, nope, I will never watch that movie. Then years later, I watched it. Goddamn masterpiece. Can't wait for one of these magias to just draw an entire image from their own dream. To counter the imminent uprising of the Humagears, the Zero-One driver and its accompanying progress key were developed to suppress this threat. The vice president is getting so ready to just take up the mantle of Kamen Rider and fight evil. He's like, not only do I get to become president, but I also get to turn into a superhero. Hell yes. I got the vibe that he was going to laugh it off as like an old man's like derangedness. Well, it's his loss. He doesn't get to be a Kamen Rider Tony Stark. But anyway, these devices are only allowed to be used by the president of Hidan Intelligence, a position willed to Koronosuke's own grandson, Aruto. The board objects to this appointment, and Aruto tells them that he has no intention of being the company president, and so he steps out. This incredibly semi-realistic outcome of... No, I am 22 years old. I'm not going to become a CEO, especially because I didn't even go to business school. Goodbye. On his elevator ride down, Aruto flashes back to having a staring contest game with a male Humagear that child Aruto calls dad. 
it not only is it uh, uh, clearly like supposed to be a human gear, it's like a prototype human gear where the earpieces are just like a modified headphone. I love those old school human gears because it shows that the technology has developed. I will also say, I think it was less a staring game and more like just trying to make a funny face to make his, uh, his caretaker laugh. And it leads to that great scene where uh, the dad's like, Aruto, I'm a robot. Every time I laugh, it'll be the same. Naruto's like, no, you have a heart. You can laugh if you want to. And then terrorism happens and the dad's blown in half. Yeah, an explosion of some sort kills this Humagir. And as he's dying, he tells Aruto to never give up on his dream of making people laugh. Aruto returns to the theme park and walks up to his boss, presumably to ask for his job back. Abbuster Tara walks up and loudly proclaims that he will spread death and destruction. He slots a card of some kind into the MJ.net belt and transforms into the Barotha Magia, a mantis-themed robot monster. He does this by being attacked by the Windows 95 Pipes screensaver. Yep. Uh, also, the uh, Barotha is a uh, name derived from the Kyuji Barotha Turiyuki, which is an extinct species of thorny lacewing insects that lived in the Cretaceous period. Interesting. All, all the uh, Magia are extinct creatures. Oh, huh. Oh. Normally, they're, the monsters of the week are just animals that are pretty recognizable, but this is different, huh? Thunderstorm extinction. I get it. A couple of other Humagear Park employees try restraining him, but... He ends up shooting the, those little pipe screensaver things into them and turning them into killer robot mooks. Which, by the way, like, it implies that those e- evil-looking face masks are part of the design. And normally I would say, oh, that's dumb. Why would he then intelligence design them like that? But then, then I thought back to what their faces looked like without those masks, and I was like, oh, no, they made the right call. <laughs> Yeah, it's like they took that base face design, but then like a shutter comes down over it. Uh-huh. Uh, I will also say I like that most of the people in the audience don't automatically know what's happening. They're like confused and freaked out a little, and they don't start really running away until the lasers start flying. Yeah, it's an amusement park. Maybe it's like a hero stage show. Yeah, they're like, what is this part of the show? What? Huh? And then all of a sudden... Jimmy's cut in half, and it's like, oh, this is bad. But yeah, I think this is a good point. Uh, Cassidy, what secrets have you unearthed about this amusement park? So I was like, okay, I need to know what the, what amusement park this is that this was like, you know, we're filmed in because I have a broken brain, and sometimes I just need to know the answer to something. And after about thirty minutes of seeing to see, checking to see if anyone else had looked it up or done the research themselves. Uh, I found nothing and I didn't really have anywhere to go with this. So I immediately decided to check um, to see if maybe it was Toshiman Park, which I only thought to do because it is in it is featured heavily in Utariwa Pretty Cure, which is also done by Toei. Um, I was like, oh, let me check to see if maybe that's just like a Toei thing. Um and it's not, but when I said earlier in the chat that I was 80% sure I knew what it was, that is what I thought it was, because in that opening 
cut scene of like, or not cut scene, but opening scene of this is an amusement park. They show clips of a few rides. And one of the rides is a roller coaster. That's kind of like slices of a log on a blue coaster track, which is just like the, uh, roller coaster in that first episode of pretty cure where the roller coaster car becomes the, uh, Gatema? Zakena. Zakena. Uh, and yeah, that is straight up the roller coaster from Toshiman Park, the cyclone. Um, but the rest of the park doesn't look like this. And the merry-go-round they show is in El Dorado, which is the big famous merry-go-round at Toshiman Park. Um, but thankfully, that uh, merry-go-round does have text on it. So I checked to see what the text was. And the text is merry-go-land dog. And by Googling that, I found out that the theme or the amusement park that this is, is the uh, Yomiri Land Amusement Park. Oh, wow. Impressive detective work. I, I think the other ride they show in the opening is also from Toshiman Park. Um, but literally everything else is is Yomiri Land. Oh, they, they probably use Yomiri Land for the dialogue scenes and establishing shots. But they, maybe they only got permits to film action scenes in, uh, what was that first one? Toshiman? No, see, the thing is, every literally everything else is in, including the other action scenes. It's just those two rides at the beginning, other than the merry-go-round, are from Toshiman. That, that's honestly really interesting. That is. And it's not like they didn't have a roller coaster there. They do have like a pretty big roller coaster there that's also kind of log-themed, and it's called Bandit. But maybe like because a lot of bandit takes place like over like a wooded area, maybe that didn't look like futuristic enough for them. So maybe that was it. I don't know. It's just really weird. In any case, good work. That's that's an interesting piece of trivia. Uh, Some other rides they have there are a fashion runway inspired spinning coaster called Spin Runway that plays pop music. And a water raft ride called Splash UFO, and the description of it says Japan's first become Nissan Yakisoba UFO boat ride with built-in video game. And it is a boat ride like raft thing that is themed around go- going through a ramen factory and becoming ramen. It's very fun. Become as ramen. Honestly, it seems like a pretty neat park. I watched a little video of it. Some of the family rides are like, oh yeah build this giant model car with your family and then ride it through a track. Damn, that sounds cool. I also learned that basically the only way you should go into the park is through the gondola because to walk to the park from Tokyo uh, literally is like a lo- very long uphill climb. So just take the gondola. A SWAT van labeled Ames pulls up and some guys in riot gear step out with guns at the ready. Their superior officer, a lady whose name we don't know yet, tells them that their goal is to gather intel on the rogue Humagears. You know what? During the lead-up to the show, advertisements, press releases, magazines, they all have the characters' names. So I am going to say the names so that we can know and refer to them. The very pretty lady is Yua Yaiba, and the very pretty man is called Isamu Fuwa. Yaiba's men began shooting right away without letting her finish, giving them the briefing, which she probably should have done in transit. Well, I mean, maybe she needed to get like a lay of what was happening first, you know? Eh. But also, this entire squad is very undisciplined. It is just completely ignoring her orders left and right. Very true, yeah. 
especially Fua, who's just having the best time murdering Humagear. Like, th- this is like he's Willy Wonka in that remake where he wasn't allowed to have any candy, but then he just starts gorging himself on Chaka, and it's like, this is the best day of his life. It's just like Willy Wonka and how he wasn't allowed to kill any children, and then he opened the doors to the factory and got to kill as many as he wanted. In such creative ways, too. Cut to Arto witnessing the destruction that the hack team of gears have wrought upon the park. The park manager can only despair at the loss of his dream of making people smile as the Barotha Magia seizes him by the throat. It gives a gloating speech about how dreams are now futile and the light of humanity's impending extinction. This makes Aruto really mad, and he yells at the uh, the Magia about how he shouldn't make fun of humans' dreams and that he doesn't know the first thing about them. When the Magia tries to like give a literal dictionary definition of uh, dreams, uh, Aruto is like, no, that's not what dreams are. Aruto objects to the Magia's being an ass, and he tells Izu, who's been standing behind him at this point with the Zero One driver in hand, to hand him the equipment. She obliges, and Aruto puts the driver on his waist. It becomes a belt, and Aruto's consciousness gets yoinked out of his body and into the Zaya satellite. Also, we should mention that she does say, look, I'm only going to give this to you if you become the president. It can only be used by the president. And he's just like, yeah, whatever, okay. Arto next appears within a white void along with Izu. She tells him that the driver has connected his brain to Zaya. I'm I'm sorry, I I just found something out and I need to share this with you. Okay. So the voice for the Zero-One driver, uh, the voices, there are two voices, Maynard Plant and Blaze Plant, who are the two lead singers of Monkey Magic, spelled with a J. And they are some Canadian brothers who are just in a Japanese pop band. Also, the other three members of the band, who are uh, Japanese people, are Tax, Dick, and Mister. Okay. I mean, we gotta get our stage names somehow. Izu tells Arto that the driver has connected his brain to Zaya and is speeding up his cognitive processing to the same level as an AI's. They see that the real-world time is basically slowed down enough for Aruto to play a tutorial before the Barotha could kill him. He has about five seconds. They really like this because it explains why Aruto can fight with the Zero-One driver and like knows how to do all that stuff. He read the manual. It's a decently written explanation, and it kind of explains the superhuman feats that Zero-One's capable of pulling off. Meanwhile, the Ames team are struggling to fight the Mecha Mukima Gears. One of the operatives, a guy named Fuwa, rushes to the van and pulls out a high-tech gu- toy gun. Uh, you are very much underselling this. It is behind a plate of glass, which he smashes with the butt of his rifle and then pulls out like, this'll do it. And again, also ignoring the superior officer who's like, hey, 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 I didn't say we could use that yet. Come on now. You you was having the worst day of every day working with Fua is the worst day of Yua's life. Yeah. When Yua tells Fua that he doesn't have the clearance to use the gun, we get a stab the scorpion moment in which he blasts a human gear that snuck up behind her. And I have to admit the shot in this is pretty cool. The bullet gives up 
enough wind resistance that it sort of causes Yua's hair to just sort of go whoosh in the wind. And then it the camera pans over and we see the Humagear's head has been blown off. It, or rather blown out. And it's pretty cool. It's kind of like a uh, Matrix slow-mo gun trail. And I have to really compliment the use of sparkbacks here. They really give the Ames operatives' guns a real sense of impact as they're just kind of firing point blank at the Humagears. I thought it, it was a good... A lot of shows will just have little muzzle flashes come off the guns with no real sense of what they're hitting or if anything. And I, I really appreciated how they use the spark packs in conjunction with that. But back to Arto, who's just finished his tutorial. The Barotha throws some energy blade projectiles at Arto. As the blades are flying towards him, Arto brings the progress key to his belt. This causes Zaya to beam down a big mecha grasshopper that blocks the blades. Do you know why do you want to know why that happens? You tell. Because a jump to the sky turns to a rider kick. Oh, I have to admit that hearing that phrase gave me chills. I like the way that it sounded. I think it definitely felt like a clip from an old radio program or something. Arto then slots the key into his belt, causing the Mecha Grasshopper to cover his body and to henching Arto into Common Rider Zero One. A jump to the sky turns into a rider kick. Damn straight. The Zero One suit looks good. It's so clean. It's so clean. Uh, it's a little too plain for my tastes. It's the human embodiment of a Kawasaki motorcycle. Honestly, I would I would pit uh, Kamen Rider Zero One's base design against any of the suits in Kamen Rider Kiva, and like I feel it could hold its own design wise. Simplicity goes a long way with a lot of modern audiences. Zero One proceeds to knock the shit out of the Barotha and to save the park manager from a couple of other mooks. Izu tosses him the briefcase-looking object that the driver and key came in. It bonks Zero One in the face, but he picks it up and unfolds it into a sword. A really chunky sword. It's like the briefcase it, it proper is the handle, whereas the blade is just, just kind of unfolds from it. It, it, it is pretty chunky. It's honestly more like a switchblade than anything else. Because the blade sits inside the briefcase and you pull it out. And it's not any longer than the hilt at this point. Watching the spite with childish glee is the hooded guy. A hacked Humagear approaches him, but and he ends up blowing its head out with a gun. While laughing. So yeah, as the Humagear is attacking uh, Jin, uh, it's saying like, lost child, lost child. Zero One continues fighting the Barotha. We're treated to some kind of meh CGI that admittedly has some cool choreography as Zero One sort of hops from a flying car to flying car and through a bus to close the distance between him and the Barotha. Oh, the CGI is very meh, but it's also the best CGI Common Rider has ever done. Oh, oh no. <laughs> I feel so weird how every time someone on this show says something is a man, I'm like, I thought it was pretty good. <laughs> I liked it. I enjoyed watching it, but like the C it very much looked CGI. It didn't take away from my enjoyment of it, but it's not like the CGI was like, oh, I couldn't tell what was CGI and what wasn't like, oh, I can't believe all the costumes were CGI. 
so that the so that the uh, people that produce the MCU movies don't have to pay union wages. Uh, by the way, I have strong feelings about the Marvel movies, not from a plot perspective, but from how they're produced, which is horrible. Oh, totally. Disney's evil. I think it's just because I'm so used to the CG that happens in CW's The Flash, a show that I pretty much like. And this is better because there's no human parts to this suit. Yeah, you, you, you don't see an attempt at a human chin running at a giant gorilla. Yeah. But I mean, when that giant gorilla fights that giant shark, I have the best, it's just the best week of my entire life. Rod fights a shark in the, in the CW Flash? Yeah, Gorilla, yeah, gorilla God, God and fights King, King shark. shark. They duke it out in the middle of the city. Holy shit. <laughs> CW's The Flash is pretty good. Legit one of my favorite shows. A great example of Western tokusatsu. Zero One finishes off the Barotho with a series of super speed-empowered blows, but he sprains his ankle upon landing. You're just gonna you're just gonna glaze over the rising impact, literally, literally the jump to the sky that turns into a rider kick. <laughs> you just reminded me of the jump to the sky turns to a rider kick, but there was a specific scene that reminded me so much of Pretty Cure, which was when he first transformed, he jumped, and was surprised at how far he jumped and that he was on top of the roller coaster, which, if I remember correctly, is like basically shot for shot. The, pre- the Pretty Cures first getting their powers. Which, my favorite part in any Pretty Cure show is that they keep on getting their power. like, the Pretty Cures keep on getting their powers for the first time, keep on going, how am I jumping so high? And I never get tired of it. Even in their school uniforms, they're still amazingly tough. They, they are. Uh, do you want to just make this into a Pretty Cure podcast? Do you want to do two Pretty Cure podcasts, Cassidy? <laughs> Listen, we still need to get through Max Hart and start any other show that's not starring those first two. Meanwhile, Ames clears out the rest of the hacked human gears. So, who is like the protagonist of a completely different show? A bad show for cops. Yeah, like a like a Blue Bloods in a Tokusatsu world. Like he's a gritty cop that's a loose cannon that doesn't play by the rules, and Arto's just over here being like, yeah. Ah, that's how you know it's summertime. I okay. I I do as much as blue but blue bloods, but in a tokusatsu show would suck. I think it would be a very good premise for like a parody or something. I I think I'm into that concept. That does sound like good stuff for a satire, definitely. I will say, uh, the metal heroes genre had a few. Uh... Had I believe one called Blue SWAT, uh, ju- not just Beyond, but j- uh, Jan Person, where the main hero is like a robot working for the cops, and like it was set in the '90s, so you can just be like, it was a different time. I don't have to worry about it, which is which is how I justify watching some cop shows. I justify watching cop shows by having a grandmother who watches them all day. Man, you need to get a new grandmother. My grandmother just watches Hallmark Christmas movies. I don't think she can watch a movie anymore. Oh, no. My grandparents watch Wheel of Fortune, Football, and Price is Right. Yeah, game shows make their way into the rotation. Lately, it's been a lot of radio, turning off the TV and putting on the radio. At the MJ.net hideout, the hoodie guy informs his bandana bro about Zero One's intervention. Bandana just tells him that Koronosuke's posthumous actions 
ultimately don't matter and that humanity will be wiped out anyway. Back at the park, Izu addresses Aruto as president and offers to drive him home. Aruto protests this, but Izu tells him that by donning the driver, he agreed to take on the role as president. Before leaving, Aruto notices some kids asking the park manager if he'll have to close down the park. You know, this is a good time as I need to mention it. The shirts with English in this first episode. Do we want to talk about corned beef? Because you and I are a great combination. The other day, I bought a kelp at the convenience store by mistaking it with corned beef. That's the hoodie that Aruto wore to his grandfather's will reading. I don't think it's as good as a goblin coordinate. Goblin coordinate is the best, but also, that child's shirt says, will you come join us? And then underneath it, like it's in a reflection in the water, it says, yes, I will come join you. And like, I don't know why, but I saw that and I was like, why did that hit me so hard? Why do I think that's creepy? That's like an advertisement for one of those fantasy games that's actually super horny. We are under attack, my lord. Indeed. Uh, those hor- those horny game ads are my favorite thing to get. Because I'm just like, yeah, you go you. I hope whoever's playing those games is having a good time. <laughs> Probably not. It's most likely riddled with... With Michael, yeah, it's most likely riddled with with Michael. My, God damn it! <laughs> Those games are just riddled with Michaels. Microtransactions. Yes. This is my new OC. He's a businessman. His name is Michael Transactions. Yeah. Okay. The manager tells the kids that he won't have to close the park since a hero in yellow saved it. He then and winks at Arto. He, most- he tries really hard. He is, he is winking with his entire body. He's trying so hard to wink. It's good. Aruto and Izu step into the car. Izu hands Aruto the company president's rise phone, basically the setting's equivalent of a smartphone. And Aruto makes a bad pun about precedents and presidents. So ends the episode. Oh, so that's the pun you got. In... In Cassidy and I's, it was, uh, how about you tell it, Cassidy? You probably have a better sense of comedic timing than I do. <laughs> it makes sense that I would have a business card, seeing how I'm such a card. Oh, I hate oh, it. Oh, I see. It's a pun based on the multiple definitions of the word card. No, don't explain the joke. <laughs> that Izu, like, is just ex- explains the joke as they ride off, and apparently Aruto's freaking out so much about it. The car starts swerving as it gets uh, as it as it uh, drives into traffic. <laughs> well, that's the end of the synopsis, everyone. That brings us into a new segment we're going to launch right now, folks. I'm calling it Rider Libs. I'm going to present Anna and Cassidy with some Mad Lib prompts and use the with their responses to build a, a common rider OC over the course of several episodes and. Eventually, I'd like for us to do a dramatic reading of a script I might make with, based on the responses given. So, Anna, give me a name, or and I guess implicit in this is a gender or lack thereof. So uh, here, here's my OC, Michael Transactions. Oh no! <laughs> You're not supposed to steal those! It, it's preferably a Japanese name. 
He, he emigrated to Japan when he was younger. Oh, I hate it. Cassidy, please give me a profession. Oh, transaction senpai. God, this sucks. It's already terrible. Um, what's a good profession for me to say here? How about street vendor? Michael transactions the street vendor. Okay. Any specific goods he might peddle in? Um, no, it changes from week to week, explicitly. All right. Anna, give me an object that can be held in one's hand. Credit card. Or no, the credit card uh, scanner thing that people use now. That's the little block. A square. Oh. Yeah, yeah, the square. It's a card reader of some kind, okay. Yeah, card reader. Interesting. And Cassidy, give me a noun. Ooh, um, lemon. I'm so sorry, Adam, but you made this Mad Libs. You knew we had to get mad with it. Yeah, it's, it's going to be pretty mad. I was trying to find any noun, and the first thing I found on my desk was a sticker of a milk carton filled with lemons. So it's lemon. All right. And that'll be what we have for the moment. Our protagonist will be, goddammit, Michael Transactions. He'll be a street vendor, and which is appropriate, I guess. And he'll have a... Okay, this actually kind of works. It actually meshes well. He'll be a street vendor, and hit the sort of token or object he uses to henshin into a common rider will be a card reader. Oh, that's fun, yeah. And his common rider moniker will be common rider lemon. Oh, and he sells you bad goods that fail immediately. He's a used car salesman. I, mean, I, I was thinking he was just selling produce. Like he's one of he's one of those street vendors that sells food. <laughs> he could maybe possibly in any case, we're moving on to our writer of the week. Uh, Anna, let's go ahead and get started with you. My writer of the week is going to be whoever wrote that joke about lowering the, the guy's bigger portrait onto Kurosuke, and then later when Naruto's coming down the stairs, seeing it being taken off. <laughs> uh, but actually, it's going to be Izu. Because I love Izu. This is... Can I give it to... I am going to give it to Izu, because she's nice. I like her. She's pretty, great actress. Izu gets it. I'm giving her the writer of the week as well. I can already tell she's going to be an interesting character who will kind of embody what I enjoy about sci-fi stories that deal with AI and humanity's relationship with such. I'm interested to see how she'll develop as a character. Cassidy, who's your writer of the week? This is either your favorite character for the episode or your favorite aspect of the production. I was going to give it to the CG section, but actually I'm going to give it to Aruto and his comedy. Um, I'm Aruto's number one comedic fan. I'm sitting in the front row of the performances. I'm waving a little flag that says Aruto on it. Number one oh. fan right here. Awesome. To the tarot corner. Blah, blah, blah. Let me go ahead and reintroduce this segment. The tarot corner is when I take a tarot card, either a major or minor arcana, and I assign it to the episode in general or to a character or situation in the episode to which I feel it has thematic relevance to. So I am giving Arcana Zero to Arto the Fool. That, that's the name of the card, the Fool. I'm not calling Arto a fool, though he kind of is a fool being a comedian. The Fool represents the beginnings of a journey, 
which is what we have presented at in this episode, the beginnings of Aruto's journey. But yeah, that brings us to the end of today's episode, folks. Are you forgetting something? A special little segment that week that I brought in. Did you forget about? Did you forget about? That's how you know it's double A, where each of us will present a pun, and we will decide on the winner. I, I had no preparation. I, I had warned my... you, and you put it. You literally put it in the episode structure. <laughs> you put in the gosh dang Discord. Well, that structure got destructured. A pun. Okay, yeah, that's a pun. That counts. How about you, Anna? Huh? Can you match that? You know, I was kind of surprised when Aruto, uh, t- uh, Aruto took that belt. You know, because before that, he was all about his dream about uh, you know making people laugh. But he took that belt and he just leapt to a new dream. Is the motto for Heathen Intelligence is leap forward to a dream. Oh, so it's a plagiarized pun. Great. Automatic disqualification. Uh, Adam, go fuck you. Go fuck yourself. Fuck you, Adam. <laughs> Cassidy, sweet baby doll. What is your pun? I have a joke here. Um, <clears throat> I heard the theme park has new COVID rules. If you want to go on the rides, you have to be a masked rider. Hey, okay. Hey! I think Cassidy, yeah, Cassidy wins. wins. <laughs> I, I I I created this segment knowing I will never win a single one. I am horrible with puns. All right. Anyway, you've created the segment know. just for me. <laughs> Honestly, pretty much. Although it did I, take I, me a while to think of that one. So <clears throat> that's how you know it's double, double a. a. And now for plugs. <laughs> yes, Cassidy. Let's go ahead and start with you. What have What do you do on the interwebs? Well, I do a bunch of podcasts, but mostly you can find me on Twitter at MadLobotanist. That's M-A-D-L-O-B-O-T-A-N-I-S-T. And you can find all of the podcasts that I do and that I've guessed it on, including this one, which I should figure out if I'm going to keep it in the place where I've guessed it on them or if it's like the, counts as one of the ones that I do. Um, but that website is at MadLobotanist.NeoCities.org, which is the same as my Twitter handle, .neocities.org. Anna, what you got? I do a podcast that may or may not exist by the time it co- comes out. It is uh, not another DXD podcast. We watch a booby anime that's actually very good. As for me, I do a actual play Pokemon TTRPG podcast called Pokemon Primeval. We basically take uh, different art TTRPG set systems and sort of... Th- posit what the world of Pokemon would have been like in Sengoku era, Kanto, and Johto, all the way to the post-apocalypse, and I like to think it's a good time, so you can find us at Pokemon Primeval if you're interested. And with all that said... Cho! Yeah. Shake!